to No Clip. I'm Jay I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Kenny. And today, we're going to be talking about Inside. Uh, Inside is a 2D puzzle platformer that was released in 2016 and developed and published by Play Dead. Uh, I believe it was... It's, it's like, on all major consoles at this point, right? Like, it's been released on everything. Pretty sure. Yeah. It, I, I believe it released initially on PC, but then uh, was ported. No Nintendo. Yeah, not even <laughs> yeah, Xbox and PS4 had yeah. it, but that's it. Um, so, I guess the uh, obvious thing to note is that this is Play Dead's second game, uh, following Limbo, which garnered a similar amount of, like, critical praise, and in fact, actually, I believe, sold pretty absurdly well as well. Uh, it was one of those like very successful downloadable games that everybody who owned a console seemed to seemed to play. Yeah, like back in the early days when digital distribution wasn't quite as saturated as it was now. So like every time there was a Steam sale, Limbo came back up again in the conversation. <laughs> yeah, like two fifty. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if you haven't played Limbo yet, don't buy that hamburger. When, when did Limbo come out? Uh, two thousand and ten. I think. I say I just played it like last year. Yeah. Like in your house. It's a good. Uh, it's a good game. Um, the like real interesting. See, now I'm distracted trying to figure out when Limbo came out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Limbo definitely released in 2010. Right. I'm 100 percent positive, and that information came from me and nobody else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't don't read into that statement at all. <laughs> Limbo came out in 2010 because I say it came out. Chad has a priori knowledge about Limbo coming out fucking whenever he wants it to come out. <laughs> so Limbo came out in 2010, and uh, uh, the, the, the thing that first strikes me about Inside in comparison to Limbo is the fact that one of the things that people talk about with Limbo a lot is the fact that they built their own engine in order to make Limbo work because it had to have a physics simulation and none of the engines that they had tried would work with the monochromatic graphics that they were going for. Yeah. Because uh, Limbo is entirely in grayscale. Uh, Inside, notably, does not follow the same aesthetic idea, but I think that its aesthetics are just, like, mind-blowingly good. It's amazing because they actually put this game together in Unity. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys have the same feelings about the way that this game looks. Yeah, it's almost got that, like, uh, like I don't know, like 1950s like era paranoid about the government kind of like feel. I, I liken it to like The Incredibles. For some reason, in my mind, it's got that kind of aesthetic. It's like it's that, but less hopeful. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. obviously not like bright, colorful <laughs> comic book, <laughs> right? But like, if you took that kind of like basic aesthetic yeah. that like the character models and the buildings and things have, in The Incredibles, that's what this game has. It's like retro future. Yeah, retro futurism. That's what it is. It went through a dust bowl that was so extreme that like society <laughs> collapsed. Yeah, well, uh, that's that is something that I do want to talk about a little bit later uh, about how like the setting of this game, yeah, and how it uh, defies my attempts at figuring out like what 
actually is is uh, not happening, but what happened, I guess. Uh, but on, on the the note of, of the visuals of this game and how they look, uh, the the technical aspects of this are just like crazy impressive and doubly so because it was all done in Unity. The lighting is really dynamic, and it has you know like the the water reflections and and particle effects. Uh, that occur just from your moving through the world. I have to imagine that the simplicity of the game itself probably let them spend a lot of time really nailing this visual look down. Mm-hmm. It's really important and interesting in comparison to Limbo, the way that they started opening up to like really, really muted uses of color. Like It's the reason that they don't just bring out the sort of retrofuturism from the design of the buildings and the way that all the technology sort of looks like something that could have come out of the 50s. They're also doing it by showing, like, that your protagonist is wearing, like, an actually colored shirt that looks like it's been covered in dust and rolling around in dirt. And if you, like, look further into the background, you sort of have to squint a little bit. But the color is there, or at least was once there. Yeah, there's a... I, I don't think it's, like, a lack of saturation... But it's it's there isn't much contrast to it. The colors are there and the colors are very like deep, but it's they sort of blend because of the uh, sort of the dark aspects of the the setting, like the actual dark lighting, not the tone. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it give it makes me think of uh, the Giver, like the novel The Giver, because like everything is seen in black and white, and there's no color. I think it, it kind of uh, taps into that same kind of era. And that's why it makes, as you mentioned earlier offcast, such ridiculous screensavers. Oh, yeah. It, th- yeah, this is, this is a wallpaper machine game. Uh, <laughs> just, like, at almost nearly any point, if you just, like, stop and hit print screen, <laughs> you have, like, a wallpaper-ready screenshot. Uh, not much engineering required there. Um, but on on the note of uh, the like protagonist boy, yeah, I think that they did a particularly good job with uh, with, with like the animation and the feel of, of controlling that character more so than most. Well, I, I would say more so than like any other two uh, D platformer in terms of how he's like personified through his. Uh, animation the way what he does uh the big thing for me was uh upon replaying the game knowing like just noticing as you walk out from the like very first part of the game uh you see the dudes in suits and you could like blunder in front of them and actually take a death immediately Mm -hmm. but if you watch your character he sort of when he sees them he'll like crouch down and like look over and just from the way that he behaves you immediately understand they're bad people. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of really good contextual animations when they, when they are allowed to actually give them. I've got sort of... It's kind of funny, because the, the one time in the game where I felt like I had a different expectation to what was going on than the game sort of assumes you do was when I was in the bathosphere and thus had less access to seeing his responses and his animations to how he approaches things. I was just like a little orb with a flashlight on it acting all... 
I might have been irrationally happy because I was in a submarine. Right. It's neither here nor there. Yeah, I'm in the same kind of boat where I like being underwater in games. This game is it's very much not for people with uh, thalassophobia, <laughs> which is a word that I I learned <laughs> recently. Uh, it's like the fear of being in open water. There's like that scene where you drop uh, into, like when you're in the, the first get into the little submarine and mm-hmm. you bust through the, the planks on the ground and it, the camera just pulls way back <laughs> and you're in this huge, vast open area and like you're so very small in comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a really good like visual moment. Yeah, and the animations have that quality that I was really impressed with in Shadow of the Colossus. Where like he like he will stumble, and like he'll do things ungracefully, and it has this nice sense of realism to it. It's yeah. weighty. That's what I had assumed you were going to bring up initially. Is that the boy feels like he's made of meat, not just because <laughs> he like trips over shit, but because you see the meat sometimes if you trip over too much shit. Yeah, he uh, the kid. It's I actually literally wrote the, that word in my notes at some point, but. The, the gist of it is basically, I, I feel like he has an appropriate weightiness because you don't feel like you're heavy, but like because the character that you're inhabiting is like a, a child, it actually makes it kind of ripe. If you had like an adult person like moving in the exact same way as the kid, I feel like it would feel floaty and awkward. I agree. But you get this contextualization and it, it, it makes a lot more sense. Like, you feel, you have a better understanding, just naturally, of, like, what type of drop you can take without dying. And uh, it, it's it's a really, they did such a good job of making it feel right. Uh, which is, I mean, in a genre like this, that's so oversaturated, I'm glad to see that they took the extra effort to make these things, like, really work. Because the actual walking around and jumping and solving puzzles is not really anything that's new or that interesting. Right. I think for a game like this, because it's not a, just like a straight platformer, it's more of a cinematic platformer. Yeah. Like, and I think those kinds of details are prioritized more for a game like this. So. Yeah. A lot of the games that I drew connections to uh, are games that I feel like were directly inspired by Limbo. And it makes me feel this just seems like the natural evolution from that. And they've kind of got, like, the... As far as I'm concerned, Plated seems to have sort of a, a monopoly on, like, good 2D platformers anymore because uh, most indie platform games tend to be, like, not super polished productions. Right, that's the most oversaturated yeah. indie type of indie game out there right now. I wish I had a name. And I've been sitting here this whole time trying it's, to think it's of a word. Uh, oh, sorry. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I don't think JoJo's a word. But <laughs> uh, for what I think is a growing trend uh, in games of things that are looking to not innervate literally in any way on mechanic sets but are trying to either shift like all of their development time and all of their polish to some other facet of the production that's normally like you know, visuals or how like tone pieces, writing, stuff like that. Because 
playing through this game really did, like you brought up, Andy, sort of feel almost like walking simulator-y. But it, of course, it can't possibly fit that definition because there is a mechanic set present that you have to interact with other than just literal control of the character. It's like I wish there was. I wish I could just sort of like stick simulator on the end of like any genre. Mm-hmm. As, as P- oh, people have been trying since like <laughs> 2010 to be able to just stick the word simulator on to the end of anything and make it a genre. Yeah, it definitely has a lot more quiet moments. Yeah, even in Limbo. I, well, I think that the uh, the correct subgenre to put this in is exactly what Andy said earlier, which is a like cinematic platformer, because the game is more about looking and and listening than it is right. about the actual platforming itself. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've never played Another World, but I imagine that was like a uh, a yeah. big inspiration on this game from what I ha- do know about it and have seen of of it. That is something that I did not take note of like at all, but mm-hmm. is totally exactly correct. Yeah, I, I was thinking of Odd World too because mm-hmm. it's more of like a tone piece. And Odd World itself took inspiration from Another World and from. Uh, I really should know this guy's name. The developer of that game has made two or three other games very similar to that. Uh, there's like a, a brainchild behind it, kind of like David Cage and his like quick time event saturated <laughs> games. Right. Uh, who was very much into that sort of a genre. But um, yeah, those are, those are absolutely like the progenitors of games like Limbo and Inside. Yep. I think Inside just succeeds generally more than most. Uh, yeah, it's certainly anything that's been town. done in a while, like mm-hmm. in this in this sort this in this genre. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with what you said earlier. Though it does seem like that is becoming like more and more of a regular thing for games to do now is to shift like towards put a focus on like an experience or like you said a tone or dialogue and all that kind of stuff to stand out. Yeah, but while still only like attaching itself to like the minimal amount of mechanics that it needs to maybe like possibly avoid that sort of public stigma or to make it feel a little bit less I guess pretentious than it could hypothetically come off to consumers <laughs> whether they're correct or not because mm-hmm. like a version of because like a version of inside that really foregone had foregone a lot of its like mechanical indulgences uh, that would have stopped you from doing a lot of the really weird s- stuff that you you kind of have to for video gaminess yeah. to make sense in the context of the game. Might have made it even better as a tone piece, I think, but probably would have made it way less marketable. Yeah, yeah. like if it were more like experimental, even more indie than it is. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Like if this was their first game, they might have done something like that. Don't get me wrong. This is this is very experimental. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird that you see a literally game, even. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that like leans this hard into trying to establish a tone and not a narrative. Like right. to, to trying to make things to make you experience a feeling without having to like go through the middleman of story. Yeah, that's definitely becoming more and more of a thing as well. And I'm gonna break our rule, but it's definitely like the Dark Souls <laughs> effect, I think. <laughs> Because like I've noticed, like since the popularity of Dark Souls, lots of games have tried to like ape off of that, mm-hmm. and pretty much all of them that I've played have been unsuccessful at it, except this game. Yeah, 
I, I can see where you're coming from. Like, I think Hyper Light Drifter was probably a good example of that. But I, I, I think the games like like Hyper Light Drifter and like this one, I feel like were put together without much of a specific narrative in mind. Or if it did, it was likely like more of an outline. Yeah. Right. I feel like this game probably has at least a vague, concrete narrative. The thing that really. I'm I'm gonna I guess jump straight to Humunculus here. Uh, <laughs> like and spoiler alert, the best part of this game is oh, that yeah. you turn into a cool Humunculus. <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> um, during that segment, there's this scene where you like, so you bust out of the the glass container that you're in, and then you proceed to like rampage through some of the labs. And at one point, you break through some glass into a little diorama of a hill with a light shining on it, and it's exa- it is the end scene of the game before the credits roll, and that, th- that being there seems like such a hint that there is a narrative to this game and that mm-hmm. you just missed something. Yeah, like... But I don't know that, if it's just there to fuck with you. <laughs> a lot of the stuff at the end... Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to jump right to talking about the end right now... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, just it, as it relates to the, right, the narrative like, of the game. There's a lot of like narrative, I think, implications in the end. Because there's the guy who's maybe the CEO of the company... <laughs> Uh, like you burst nice into his office, office yeah. The nice and office man. You have to kill him. Yeah, you roll. <laughs> yeah, you know, like he, you have, you have to like barrel through him and crash through the window and squash him. Right. And it's like, and it seems like if you kind of like slow down a bit, it, like you notice that like people are helping you escape. Yeah. And like, there's like a lot of little things like that in the end that imply that like there is some kind of a story. That it was planned. Yeah, yeah that right? there was yeah. an actual planned uh, story. The difference, I think, to, to zoom out again between the zoom out from the hum- the homunculus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Side sidebar. <laughs> uh, they did a, D- a GDC talk on the homunculus. Uh, specifically on that part of the game. Uh, specifically on just it, on how they modeled it. Mm. Uh, it's called the huddle. Oh, they called the huddle. Yes, is that huge mass of flesh, limbs, and terror. Uh, I, was, I wasn't sure if I was going to go with, uh, like, because the huddle is pretty good. <laughs> I also like, like, Flesh Katamari is also a good one. Yeah. Uh, it never grows, though. It only loses. It loses, like, legs. Nothing significant. <laughs> yeah. I just bits. called it the blob. The personally. blob. Also very good. Anyway, sidebar over. The thing that I think really distinguishes the way that this game tries to approach narrative from a lot of the things that have been trying to sort of ape on Dark Souls and Hyper Light Drifter in the way that they sort of hide lots of all the different pieces that would normally be explicit about what the narrative is and let you discover it naturally, is that in those sort of games, the the pieces of the narrative that you find generally all point to like a uniform direction. Like, if I'm playing through Dark Souls and I find like, some little lore tidbit about the Witches of Izalith, I will find other things later in the game that continue to build on that understanding of that thing, and, like, it, and it gets additive, like, it's like puzzles, but 
it's all pointing in the same direction. You get a narrative through line eventually if you pay enough attention. Whereas in this game, I feel like the more that I paid attention to what was going on in the background, the more that the information that I learned really just constantly took me on like hard left turns. And like like the, the way that they reveal narrative information in this game is to constantly call into question all prior narrative information. Mm -hmm. So it, it feels less like a line to me and more like a thing less eloquently that fucking fucks with you. That you're just, right. you're constantly being thrashed around to the to the benefit of the tone with what you think is going on. And even when, by the time the game ends, you just get you're more confused than when you started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it does, it feels like you're in the middle of like a conspiracy theory <laughs> or something, or like a really trippy episode of the X Files or something. Yeah. <laughs> and every conspiracy that you come up with, you. You create like the meta conspiracy that that conspiracy mm -hmm. may be the thing. That the, the game prior conspiracy. <laughs> the game turns you into like you'll be wearing a tinfoil hat by the time you finish the game. Yeah, like with all your theories. <laughs> if the kid had been wearing a tinfoil hat, he wouldn't have been pulled into that Sonic Spin Dash blob. <laughs> uh, Sonic Spin Dash? Stop moving that quickly. That's a good point. <laughs> it is a ball that rolls through things. So I think it's. I think there's enough of a, a, a connection there. Sidebar. Again. <laughs> is is the spin dash move that Sonic does a name for everything he does when he rolls to a ball, or is it the name of just the thing he does when he rises into the air and hits stuff? I that's the homing attack. Okay, so the spin dash is on the ground? The spin dash is on the ground, it's just where, it, like, in the uh, Genesis games, where you hold the down button yeah. and jam on the B button and then let go. Okay. That's okay. the spin dash. Sidebar over. Um, Some Sonic history for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's even. I'm actually even a little concerned by the fact that I knew that that was called the homing attack. Uh, it's not a fucking hard name to remember. That's a good point. And that is exactly what it. It's a good description of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fuck. Okay. Um, one thing that you brought up earlier. Uh, that I think sort of relate because because this game is such a tone piece, uh, and as we always say, no clip loves a tone piece. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> You're forcing this really hard. This is like attempt six or something. <laughs> I was saying. I think it's like the third time I've brought it up. Okay. Uh, it's just every time that something comes out that's like just about a feeling, we're always like, "This is great." <laughs> this we is do. Really it is a true statement. Yeah. No clip loves a tone piece. Um. But part of that town involves you have some kind of a desire to like go through things in <laughs> order to not like feel as totally lost and confused as you are. So yeah. you the player? You the player. Okay. And then the game attempts to like dissuade you from drawing any definitive conclusions by like constantly introducing new and unusual things. I've played through this game twice now, and I have to say, the second playthrough, I think, was just better. Like, all around. Because getting stuck on something is, like, a huge problem for this game. Uh, like, for the tone in the game. Yeah. Like, if you spend a lot of time in one room, you are, like, kind of just falling out of the 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 feeling of the game like the feeling the game is trying to give to you more and more the longer you're in one area I agree it, it's because puzzle platformer elements rarely not universally in especially in this game but rarely actually evoke 
dread and terror in you. <laughs> like, yeah. But the thing yeah. that sticks out for me was, uh, I think that the longest, if you call it a single sequence, uh, when you're in the mine shaft and you're like collecting dudes. Yeah. Yeah, collecting dudes was not, I did not feel like horror at, at that dude <laughs> that acquisition. Was a, that was a sweet moment, though. <laughs> it was a cool segment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's the only time I had to use uh, a walkthrough because I swore like I tried many times to get them to throw me at a diagonal. And, and they just wouldn't and they do couldn't it. get them to do it. And I'm like, what do I do here? <laughs> and they were just like, have them throw you that over this ledge. And I was like, ugh. Yeah. It has kind <laughs> of the same squishiness of uh, in, in aiming like that the uh, the submarine does, yeah. where you have to sort of like try to contextualize how your character is looking and like what direction things are facing yeah. in order to do it correctly. And sometimes it's just kind of hard to make out that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had a couple of moments um, that were a little bit of a stump, a little little, little bit of a stumper. <laughs> a little stump. A little stump. A little stump. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they call stump moments. It's when you're walking around in the beautiful in game the forest. forest yeah. yeah. The forest of game. And you didn't look, you're not looking down. You're looking up at the sky. And you trip and fall into a stump. You got your head in the fucking clouds walking through the game forest and you yeah. don't see the stump that you, you fall over on. Uh... <laughs> And uh, one of those moments was this, like, probably one of the easiest puzzles in the game. Uh, <laughs> there's, like, a section, it's the first, it's part where they introduce you to the little mind control helmet. Yeah. I remember getting on that, and then you have to walk the one dude over and, and walk the other guy out of the door, and then you close the door, and then you put them both against the wall, and they both walk to the button. Mm -hmm. I thought that you had to do some, like, crazy logical thing where you walk the guy, like, so some number of steps into the door and then like close the door to have the other guy walk into it and then like set it up so that they're exactly the distance away mm -hmm. and they would both walk right onto the buttons uh as it turns out you just put them against both walls and then turn them around and yeah. it works out because the buttons are equidistant from yeah, the walls that was pretty embarrassing <laughs> uh when i figured that one out but yeah it just kind of pulls you out of it i think yeah yeah it's because it it clashes with the tone like we i think is how we started the the conversation on it but like when you have this mentality like you're trying to escape mm -hmm. and like there's this kind of urgency in your own head while you're playing and then when you get stuck in one place you're just it, that kind of melts away yeah you're like okay <laughs> <laughs> they get urgent <laughs> as far as <laughs> puzzles conveying a sense of dread there is that one puzzle where you have to, like, vacuum up a bunch of little birds and shoot them at a box. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like the, it's like the, maybe the first it's true puzzle that you ever encounter. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty dreadful leading up to that. Yeah, you're like, oh no, not the, not the little birds. Yeah, I, I like, that was, after all the horror that was happening before, I thought, I was worried when I got to that sequence that I saw, like, the horror sucking machine. I didn't even turned it on yet. I just saw adorable creatures and a horror sucking machine. Yeah. And was worried that this game was going to, like, show that, like, you, the player, and the, the protagonist are different people <laughs> by forcing you to fucking mutilate all these chicks. Right. And I didn't want to mutilate chicks. I wanted chicks to be fine. It was means to an end, I guess. Yeah. That, that's the situation. Luckily, the chicks were just sort of, like, mildly inconvenienced. Uh... No, not completely. I actually took note of this this time through the game. Mm -hmm. After you shoot them at the box, like, a few of them will get up and move around, but a few will just, like, remain lifeless landing. Yeah, I, I, I was 
remembered it as most of them died and yeah. a couple of them lived. Maybe you guys are just like worse at aiming your chicks. You gotta, you gotta really get tactical with that. You <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> if you, if you have <laughs> there's a deep uh, chick shooting. Yeah. Man you get an achievement. Yeah. If it, how how stupid would that be <laughs> if you like did that and all the chicks lived and like an achievement popped up? You like if that's possible. I bet there is an achievement for it. Like, that's exactly the kind of thing you get an achievement for. Unfortunately, I don't think that you have any control over the entire puzzle except for the lever. So. Yeah, that right. was the point. You just you get to do it one at a time. One chick. <laughs> <laughs> just back and forth. Would that even knock the box down? I mean, by no. physics, no, but by video game standards, yes. Probably. Okay. <laughs> With throwing a bunch of chicks at like a, a hay bale, move it at all? Hay bales are fucking heavy. It's How true. fast do you think that thing's shooting the chicks at the hay bale? Not fast it's enough to... Mach 4. Like, <laughs> they just liquefy <laughs> upon impact. Yeah, they don't have enough mass, man. There's like... There's physical But if it's like a this. big clump of them. If it sucks them up all real fast, it makes a big clump. Like a dense ball. <laughs> and then you shoots it at it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. That's why. I, that's why I honestly <laughs> expected. That's what... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, come to think of it, my first <laughs> assumption was pretty ridiculous. My first assumption was that it was just going to mulch them. I didn't even like t- make yeah, the connection. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, well. you know. But then, so they would have been much more depressing if that like wasn't even the answer to the puzzle. <laughs> it's just like nothing <laughs> you could do. It just like sprays blood all over the hand pal. And you're like, oh, of course that wasn't helpful. Why would I think that was helpful? Um, that would be. That's a puzzle for a much darker <laughs> game than this. <laughs> Uh, oh wait, here's a knight to cut the rope. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> what the one chick that got away from the thing like flies a knife down the end. Uh, the rest of the chicks would have brought a ladder too if you yeah. had to climb up yeah. there. <laughs> the chick the chick brings brings the knife in like a, a sad vengeance attempt for all yeah, the brothers and sisters. Yeah. I uh, think two chicks like trying to pick up an AK forty seven but like can't lift it. <laughs> they end up dropping it and then it shoots the two of them and they die as well. Yep. It says a lot about war, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's what this game's about. Really. <laughs> the bird the human bird war of uh twenty thirty. Do we think this game takes place in the future? Or is it a cause like man there's a lot of bizarre technology. Yeah. See, I don't read it that way. Personally, I, I really latched on to, like, the retrofuturism thing mm-hmm. and kind of viewed it as, like, it is, like, the 50s or 60s, you know, with the fictional technology. Yeah. Pushing back a little bit from earlier discussions, because of, like, all of the hard left turns I was discussing, I'm unconvinced that this game has a narrative for any reason other than just to make you more uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, I I think it only has as much of a story as exists for you to have some kind of buy-in so that you can feel uncomfortable when it, like, inches it away from you. It's it's, it's the fish on the edge of the line that it... Well, it's a bad metaphor because people put fish on the lines for other reasons. But, like, it's like like a a carrot on the end of a stick that the game is, like, constantly trying to pull back and away from you. That is the correct uh, (laughs) metaphor. No one is luring... Okay, at least you're (laughs) using a fish to catch another fish. Which people do. Yeah, but inside, no point is using its story in order to pull you into a bigger story. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is just trying to uh, to goad you along its path. Yep. Yeah. 
I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but I definitely feel like this game has a narrative underneath all of it. The game wouldn't work if, at the end of the day, you didn't believe that, at least at first. You have yeah, to believe I that mean, the whole it, time. It's probably just because I'm human and we want to, like, stop <laughs> leaning to stuff. But, like, I don't know. I would be a little surprised to learn that, like... There was nothing at yeah, all. Yeah, like, oh, this like, is actually just a bunch of cool It's a collection of scenes. Yeah. together. Because mm. yeah, I feel like you don't get something this cohesive... If there isn't like something backing it up, yeah, I can I can get behind that at least to some extent. I think that yeah, like I said uh, very early at this point, uh, that like I think an outline of some kind was at least yeah. necessary uh, in order for them to string things together in a way that makes sense. And I mean, even if even if you look, there's a there's like a tiny thread of a human narrative that you can follow from your approach to the facility where all the people are lined up to the point where you find just, like, people are suspended in vats. Where it's, like, there's a pretty, like, uh, clear implication to that yeah. that you can follow from, like, introduction to revelation. And so there, there are small elements of this game that have narratives. And I think that even those, like, little micro-narratives are the things that make the game actually feel really good. Um... Things like being, like, mauled by dogs at the beginning of the game, and then, like, at the end, realizing that people don't care about you as much as they care about the the huddle in the jar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually... That's such a good moment. That's something I really want to own in on. When you get pulled into the huddle and realize you control it? I was actually thinking before that... Like, the lead-up to when it? When you run in and all of the people are standing around, yeah. and, like, the people look at you... And then, like, turn away because they don't yeah. care. Because the, the puzzle itself involves you pushing a thing that makes noise over, and, like, people will be like, <gasps> and, like, look over and then be like, oh, it's just said that kid that we've been chasing the whole game. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great b- both subversion of, like, what's been happening and also build up to the reveal of the blob. Yeah. Yeah, because you do. Yeah. You want you, to know what's go, inside that jar. Yeah, you go into that whole room and you're just walking past people, and, and you're just like, you know, like tiptoeing along. Like, <laughs> when are they gonna? When are they gonna turn on me? Yeah, the, I think if I remember, <laughs> the first person who's like really in frame, like really close enough to you that he's not like a background set piece guy, is a dude who like runs past you and like starts stumbling over chairs. Mm-hmm. And in the context of the scene, you think that he's after you. But like and like, like oh man I'm gonna barely escape in this game because someone else made a trip like as this is the constant trope in like these sort of like walking set pieces in games like this. But once he like regains his footing, he doesn't go up to you at all. He he goes to the beautiful office thing. Yeah, the guy has just like an amazing that whole like the animation that plays with that dude is just in retrospect really funny. Like, they did something that if you had seen it in real life, you would have thought it was the greatest thing that you've ever seen. Because, <laughs> like, the dude, like, runs in, looks over at you, gets distracted, and heads into, like, a line of chairs and tables, starts to trip, and then realizes that there's just a bunch more in front of him. <laughs> and so he's, like, reaching forward to, like, move the chairs <laughs> as he's stumbling forward. He, like, almost falls down for, like, six seconds. It's, really, it's just really Would good. make a great vine. Yeah. No, exactly. It'd be a great vine. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. Poor vine. 
Oh, just real quick, because I think that I missed the opportunity to say it way earlier, and I just mentioned being mauled by dogs. Uh-huh. Those are not guard dogs, because those because a guard dog might kill you. Might kill you. Yeah. Those dogs kill you and then eat you. Like, they just start chewing yeah. through I your think, neck. Yeah, they're definitely, like, hunting dogs. Yeah. Yeah, they're not, uh... Those were not implemented for security reasons. No. I thought that was, like, the first time that a dog just, like, started chowing down. I was like, all right, this is kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a cr- this is a cruel way to use dogs. I think cruelty might be, a, like, a little bit of a theme here with the, yeah. Nah. Just touch. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, shit, Okay, on. I'll take my, I'll, I'll step myself back okay. from making reaching claims about like the nature of the narrative and the themes and things. Oh god, speaking of reaching claims about narrative and themes, it, this is like reminds me a lot of what like a postmodernist game would be, if that makes sense, or at least unless my like stereotypes of what postmodernism is are so distorted that anything that barely makes any sense to me at all is what I think qualifies oh, as that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even know what the term means applied to video game design. A lot of people, personally. when you when you're talking about games specifically, a lot of people will attempt to define uh, like a postmodern f- design philosophy as one that acknowledges the fact that it's making a game, mm-hmm. but chooses to do things like will uh, basically tries to enforce like an ironic sort of perspective on it where. It, it utilizes tropes or utilizes mechanics that are common to its genre, but uses them in a unique and different way. Okay. And I can see that the inside has, like, an element of that, where there are a lot of these, uh, like, platformers, and a lot of the platformers are specifically there, like, these cinematic platformers, to tell a story, and inside sort of just says, like, well, fuck that. Like, yeah. how about just, I'll leave this thing, it's weird. <laughs> it's not just subversive in the way that lots of like new and self-conscious media can be subversive. It's fucking impenetrable, which was the thing that really made me mm-hmm. sort of glue into it. Is that what you were going for with that, with your original statement? I felt like you didn't pick up after you were like, I feel like this is... I don't know how I'd define postmodernism here. Oh, and oh. then I didn't want to go into stupid philosophy rants. As, as 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 has happened prior on the podcast, I start thinking about a Phil thing and then like try and shove it back down my gullet, and silence ends up coming out instead of words. But <laughs> <laughs> when you're trying to define like the implications of postmodernism in lots of different kinds of media, like God, how do I do this without just angering a whole bunch of people? Uh, when you're trying to create the definition of a school of thought that is like generally skeptical of solid definitions for anything, like you can, it, that's where, that's why impenetrability is just the one thing that I recommend with it. If you have uh, a school of thought where you can literally just assemble random words together and get published in a French philosophy journal, then yeah. <laughs> I suspect that the people who would be offended by the specifics of that argument are probably not the people listening to a podcast about video games. You'd be surprised. There's a lot of continental stuff is actually like surprisingly influential in different parts of like general liberal education. Like I'm, I'm reasonably certain that that might be insulting to Janelle. <laughs> like, there's a lot of like literature, like theory people, and uh, people a lot of them like in those veins that would 
be mad at me. And yeah. those seem like, you know, nice, normal people that I don't want to make furious. That's fair. I mean, I think that an element of this game being impenetrable in terms of, like, I don't, I don't really know how to... Like, in terms of, like, a full understanding of the narrative, like, something that the game intentionally says, like, cuts off from you and says, like, you cannot get this yeah. <laughs> uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that... Oh, no, not yeah. at all. Not, not at all do I think it's a bad thing. I think it's certainly a very interesting thing that this game exists and that they're willing to go this far. Because they did not go this far when they made Limbo. No. When, when they Limbo's narrative were like the old narratives that got popularized by you know the Soulsian approach that we were talking about before. P people had theories about Limbo that could match up with all of the available evidence that mm -hmm. explained everything. It's just Limbo had very, very, very little actual like data for you to work with. Right. Most of Limbo's were all extrapolations from the end end. Definitely very different goals yeah. between the two games. Yeah. L Limbo wanted to make a dark and dreary 2D puzzle platformer and succeeded in that, but Limbo wants to make that it wants to add detail to it to the point where you can actually feel yourself in that environment. Like, you know that that is a thing that... Like, it's an area that you feel like you could conceive of. Whereas Limbo is sort of like crazy surrealism. Yeah, Limbo is like a violent dream. And even like the setting that you're in when you're going through there is right. always really aggressive to you. And like... A lot of the design, I remember, when you were going through that, there were lots of, like, really fucking mean puzzles. Yeah. Just things that you had to do that would always mutilate you. And then compared, comparatively, in this game, I did not die a bunch. Yeah, in Limbo, you die usually one time before you solve each puzzle. Mm -hmm. the, the death is the way that it indicates that you're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> Inside is, only kills you when you're, like, going the wrong way. Yeah. Like, it says, like, you can figure this puzzle out and we won't slaughter you for making a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Inside has some of the same kind of things, but they give you more cues to avoid it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There aren't Like, you could like... easily, like, stumble out in front of some guards or dogs and get killed almost immediately. Right. But if you're, like, taking your time and paying attention, you can avoid a lot of that stuff. Which reminds that most of the deaths that I remember going through inside were all times when I wasn't paying enough attention. Even things as like stereotypical as like, oh, I thought there was floor there, and instead there was a <laughs> spike there that I dropped like three stories to hit. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Limbo was just a lot more video gamey, yeah. for lack of yeah. a better word. Like, yeah, it's a lot more abstract, and inside is a lot more grounded. If if Playdead has like a. Uh, like a gradient they have like uh the i guess like the, the black and white to the color gradient <laughs> is basically difficulty of of puzzles versus like unified uh, theme in tone where it's like the closer they get to making like a I don't want to say, like, a film, because that implies that it has, like, a narrative. The closer they came to, like, come to making, like, what is effectively a playable painting, the first, like, they just can't have puzzles at that point. Yeah. Whereas, like, Limbo was all about its puzzles and not about 
its turn as much. At least not like puzzle platformer puzzles. Right. Like if you if you did puzzles in a game that had to be consistent with tone like this, they'd have to be something so mechanically basic. I was thinking they would be like Mist. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was think I was trying to think <laughs> of the name. What was that crazy fucking goat game on the Wii U that I think I watched you play? Goat Year Walk. Oh, That's Year Walk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Game. <laughs> there were so, so many goat games that I was like, yeah. "Is it Escape Goat? Escape Goat Two? <laughs> Goats goat. on a bridge? Goats on a bridge? What's well, clearly Goat a, Simulator? It's not Goat Simulator. I think the context here we can say would be like, okay. oh, if only they had the same puzzles as Goat <laughs> Simulator. That would yeah. really help with the tone of horror and monstrosity. Yeah, so like mm. puzzles c- closer to like a point and click. Yeah, yeah point and click, hidden object stuff, key yeah. acquisition things." that were literally just gates between scenes that you might have to make some mental jumps to acquire in the first place, but no mechanical jumps, no literal jumps to acquire. <laughs> I think that worked out better than yeah. you thought it was going to. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah, it's like Limbo was more gameplay focused so they could have like more variety and like better designed puzzles because they had this abstract environment to play with. Yeah. And inside, they decided to go more grounded so things have to feel more organic. They're very logical. Yeah, and what, it's very yeah. limited in what, comparison. One of the puzzles that took me like uh, some amount of time to figure out was the one with their two mind control helmets. There's the one that you're hanging from, and then the second one that you get to and the husk actually hangs from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you open a third guy out of a box. Um and that whole segment, it just, it's like, literally, it's just sort of, how do I get these people to this location without any of them falling to their death? And that is pretty simple from, like, a, like, it's not abstracted from the real world as much as a puzzle in Limbo might be. It all, it all, it plays into your logic as opposed to your skill. Yeah. Yeah. It, once you start just like accepting the conceits about what those things are, is it, just like the the way that the animations are designed, all the things that you have to do sort of feel meaty and like <laughs> I don't know. It's just, that's, that's like the noise that summarizes everything that this game makes you do. It's just like yeah. it's like a bowel movement of some kind. This organ shift <laughs> every time. It's like a, I'm imagining that as like a review. Like <laughs> this game's like a bowel movement. <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, when that was your goal. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, do we want to get into that kind of a thing after we bowels? Do we want to get, get into bowels? I have no idea what what you're suggesting. Uh, oh, um, hmm. uh, specifically in like the design of the puzzles and the mechanical feel of the game, the game feel. The lewd, the ludo. No, nope, nope, <laughs> no, 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 nope. I, I heard the word lewd. Yeah, hard ludic. We're taking a break so we can have a talk. All right, Chad. we're gonna have a talk. Welcome back. One thing that uh, I did not mention earlier when we were talking about the tone of this game that I think is actually pretty important is this game's use of music, uh, which it does not do 
often. There's very few segments that actually have like a backing soundtrack to them. Uh, but it makes the points where they use music because it does tend to be pretty, like, it's a loud soundtrack when it does come in. Uh, it, ma- it makes those moments feel really powerful. Yeah. And they do a good job of building into it as well. I think what everyone would probably agree is, like, the most powerful moment is during the section with the uh, the audio waves, like, that blast you into oblivion if you walk out from behind cover. Yeah. During that whole section, you get the sort of, like, very low melody in between the huge, like, bass hits, uh, when whatever is happening that makes those, uh, like, energy waves come through yeah. is going on. Um <clears throat> But the like the melody and like the beat that is actually playing behind those can help you sort of learn the timings, and as you progress through the like puzzles in that segment, like the platforming uh, parts of it, it builds and builds to the point where at the very end you actually can't really hear those distinctive beats anymore, and it gives this like very surreal like almost almost like the sound waves themselves have just like overpowered your own ears yeah you sound deaf yeah and it it, but it builds and it has this swell that has like strings behind it and it's like (laughs) it's just really good uh in the way that it, it pulls that off absolutely you're aware of like the main trivia about the sound design of this game right i don't know anything about the sound design of this game you neither okay well this is gonna be fun uh, I forget how much uh, my animal brain is telling me all, but that might not be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think pretty much all background music for the game was recorded in an actual human skull. Oh, you know, I did hear this <laughs> in my inside of my human skull. Mm-hmm. It is a, it's an unusual choice, yes. I would say. Yeah, it's, yeah, it really does feed into like the prior postmodernism ramblings that I was talking about that they would make the, the choice to record the music in a human skull. But I see as I get the impression from like interviews given by the developers of, of this game that they didn't record their song in a human skull for the same reasons that like the like the band Tool recorded a whole <laughs> song or whole track by squeezing a cat into a PVC pipe. Uh, not like stuffing it into it. They squeezed it so that it would meow, and then recorded the reverberations oh, and slowed it down. That's much better. Okay. Yeah, and no violence towards cats, as far as I know. Um, which is that they're crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like they just they determined that that was the only way to make their art work. Mm-hmm. I feel as though Play Dead probably did this to be like. Somebody was like, wouldn't it be, like, weird and hilarious if we recorded the music inside of a skull? And they were like, yeah. And just did it. Because they had, like, whatever they had, like, the opportunity to do it. Because they just had a human skull? I'm sure they're not that expensive. Are they for sale? Your kidneys aren't even for sale. Yeah, but, I mean, nobody gets a skull transplant. (laughs) The kidneys are valuable. Your skull really isn't. They could be wrong. They could be like, 
that could be like a huge. That could be the linchpin to the impenetrable story. Mm-hmm. Is that like all the audio is recorded inside of somebody's skull, and like you are, the huddle is actually your brain, and all of the, the husks represent. <laughs> your thoughts yeah, or I'm, something. I'm sure yeah, this yeah. is an arg all about the life of the man whose skull this is. That's <laughs> or woman. Or yeah. woman. Uh, yeah, like, I'm sure there's probably some, like, a legitimate reason they chose to do that. Because mm-hmm. uh, you don't just, like, think, oh, I got a skull. <laughs> <Lay it laughs> uh, you want to use that to record the music inside of? But, uh... <laughs> 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 but, um... <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, but uh, it's that almost kind of seems like it's bordering on pretentious to me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah. like, oh, we're so deep and disturbed <laughs> that we need to record the music this way. But that, There's no <laughs> other way. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I get the feeling that that wasn't their thought process. Yeah. Right. Because, like, they don't seem like the kind of, of right. developer that's that pretentious. I mean, not that being pretentious is necessarily, like, a bad thing mm. to the public if what you're releasing is still fine. It's, like, I, obviously it's a personality flaw to feel as though you are, like, <laughs> just correct in the things that you are doing, even if they're weird and involve purchasing body parts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, being pretentious is a pejorative word. It, it's, yeah. It, but, but it's a pejorative word for something that doesn't necessarily have to be bad. You can, like, I, I'm blanking on what some, like, the non-pejorative versions of pretentious, maybe just, like, high-minded in general. Right. But, yeah. Like the fact <laughs> It's more of a euphemism for an asshole <laughs> at this point, so... Yeah. <laughs> but, like, the fact, if you're using... You'll only ever use the, that word in order to, to accuse someone of making a mistake, but if they had not made the mistake, they could have still, like, done something like record music in a human skull. skull. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not one-to-one or impossible. What if it just, like, didn't work, though? Like, what if they, like, put in this guy, like, this sounds really bad, actually. Like, <laughs> hmm. Well, then I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have done it. But they, uh, what would they have done with? The, I'm just asking on like well, a personal level. The like they got the skull, they got everything together and set up, and then they were like, "Oh, well, this was." I'm sure oops. they worked with like sound engineers or somebody who like. I don't think there's a sound engineer <laughs> who is familiar with recording inside I, of a head. I don't know. I bet you like it, like the history of recording like technology, people have experimented with that kind of shit. Yeah. And I bet there are people that know all about it. Like, maybe not skulls, <laughs> but there could be like a bone acoustics expert, I bet. Right, somebody who's like, bone, bone reverberates these tones particularly well. Yeah, I, I We bet. record, in fact, in an all-bone studio. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little macabre, but yeah. I think that uh, it's necessary for our dulcet tones. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is a. There's so many places I could go with the Bone Studio. I know. Let's just let's just let's just leave it there. But the um. Okay, so going way 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 back, um, that whole segment with the with the the sound waves. Yeah. Is as uh you were discussing earlier. 
and also on the break, which is why I'm trying to attribute this to you as much <laughs> as I can, actually putting the tone into the mechanics. Yeah. Yes. In a way that the game doesn't really do very often. Yeah. It's, I, I'll, even though the game makes it pretty clear to you from the way that they introduced that sequence, that, like, being out of cover is bad news, you know, when, like, metal bits and shards are, like, blowing past you and stuff. Yeah. I did, I expected you to fall. I didn't expect you to explode, <laughs> which is what actually happens. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the, like, couple of times when this game got so visceral by such surprise that it wasn't just gross, but, like, actually horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Being eaten by a dog is gross. Yep. Being, like, dismembered by a distant sound wave is terrifying. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I remember the only other time that, that that game really gave me that sort of, like, fear impulse hard... I think I mentioned it earlier, was falling down a shaft and getting impaled. Do you actually see that animation? Because you only see that death if you're a dumbass and you walk into a hole. So there's a chance that neither of you probably ever died by impaling in this I game. I don't I, remember I that. don't think so. Okay. I know that in, in Limbo, when you get impaled, like your head would fall off, which was very strange. <laughs> yeah, you would explode a lot. Yeah. 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 But it was, it was not like that. In this game, instead, uh, when you are impaled, it, it's like... The game, it changes which direction you face. Like it, it's smart with the physics engine, so you're you're impaled in, whether on one side or the other based on how you fell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do like the classic. It's death from impaling is like a five second process in this game, right. where you like you hit the spike and the spike is clearly through you, and there's like the spikes slow down from the friction of your organs against yeah, the Yeah, all the important pole. bits that are being stabbed through. Yeah, and then yeah. You, do, you do like the final forward lean as you like reach and touch against the spike. Uh, it's really not fun. It was it was surprising and not fun. I'm surprised that in this discussion neither of you... I've actually talked to you about this, Andy, uh, so I'm not that surprised for you, I guess. But <laughs> I find the like water girl terrifying. Like, the black hair stalker who pulls you under and drowns you yeah. to be, like, the scariest part of this game. Like, as far as, like, pure horror goes. I think that the concept is scary, but, like, implementation, it didn't scare me at all. Did you ever, uh, did you ever like, break your sub? Yeah, once. That's pretty fucking scary. I mean, yeah, once again, like, conceptually. <laughs> uh, being in a submarine is terrifying, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, the idea of that. But, yeah, like, in the in-game, it didn't do anything to me. It was... I, 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 also, another thing that I brought up much earlier in the podcast, uh, this was... The girl was the one time where the game's tone wasn't, like, communicated to me effectively the very first time. Mm. Uh, although, obviously, they do this little, like, tiny little jump scare the first time you ever see the girl. When well, she's, she's in the, the foreground. Yeah, and then runs away, and that's scary. But when I first saw her, I've, you know, you, of course, make these assumption she's a corpse, and then eventually I see this moving around and, like, doing human stuff. Uh, I, I went immediately to friend... Like, I don't know why. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've never seen The Ring? Yeah, I was yeah. saying, like, they were relying the on that imagery. Yeah, like, like the Japanese just, horror yeah. guest. Yeah. I, I, I really did, like, immediately it think... It makes total sense that JJ wanted to befriend the mysterious little girl. <laughs> the mysterious the water nymph, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was that was down there. Like, and I was, I was super <laughs> happy about it, and she was, like, following me at first... And I was like, oh man, it's a totally oh, a friend. That, it's Connie of Connie's Kingler Castle. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Connie. <laughs> 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 
I feel like I now need to put like a, a time stamped link to the Pokemon Snap episode so everyone just doesn't think that we're crazy, crazy people. Yeah. What? It's JJ's fan fiction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, related to a gambling establishment and Kingler. Yep. And Pokemon Go. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so she like she chases you, and then she gets the submarine, and I just remember my heart dropping out of me so fast. I was like, oh no, she's cracking the glass. Oh, that happened immediately. My betrayal was like like eight seconds after acquiring her. Because of course, you know, you, I'm looking at her. So you, I, the first thing that I do isn't her like rushing at me like a vampire. The first thing that happens is her just sort of like gracefully floating around in the water while I'm looking at her. And I was like, you seem you seem okay, especially by this standard. <laughs> But it's time to this you game. Really that like somebody would befriend you in this game. <laughs> Un- okay, if I'm underwater, my assumption is that anyone who is also underwater is not my friend. It's <laughs> like universally in life. Yeah. Yeah, might yeah. as well. Anything. I mean, unless I know yeah. them before. If I meet somebody underwater, <laughs> I'll wait until we're yeah. at like you know on a boat. Uh, yeah. Sure. When I, oh, yeah. It's, that's in, very different. Yeah. In water, yeah, pretty much nothing. You want n- nothing to do with anything else in the water. Yeah, I just thought that like like <laughs> what, like like if I ever went diving with you and you'd be like, once we're like two <laughs> fathoms <laughs> deep, it's like all bets are off. Two fathoms? <laughs> That'd be pretty far down. <laughs> I don't know how deep a fathom is. goddammit. it! But the word, uh, it is, like, yeah, it, it conveys like an, a vast feeling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wanted to give him some credit. I wanted to think, but like, oh, that's we're in like the deep end. Now. Yeah, it's not like oh, it's raining. I mean, like, I, we're not friends anymore. I mean, just like even just like ten feet of water to like a human being is pretty deep. It's pretty deep, yeah. So I, I can I'm pretty sure by two fathoms. Would be a lot. I don't think you're ever, ever, ever going to be two fathoms below water with Chad. <laughs> we need to we need to run a sweepstakes. <laughs> Two fathoms deep with Chad. One lucky winner gets an all expenses paid trip to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. <laughs> if you ever start your own solo podcast, it right. should be Two Fathoms Deep with Chad. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, now that we've mutilated this sufficiently, right. to go back to another stupid thing that I, I forget it was one, maybe probably both of you. Oh yeah, I think it was you who were talking about submarines being not fun. Oh yeah, and totally I, terrifying. And I've, I've already recorded on this podcast that I was like happy about being in a submarine, that this mm-hmm. was like a, a joyous experience for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to clarify, because both of us are correct here, uh, being like in, being actually in a submarine is horrible and terrifying but they, but they never represent that to you especially in like third person video games like being in a submarine where you just control the submarine from outside of it is just like being like a, a fun plane game yeah. you sort of like mess it around like like a children's toy sure. with your hand on the thing yeah so I want I wanted to explain that I, I agree that submarines are scary, <laughs> but I also I like submarines. I'm glad that we cleared that up. You yeah, the the feeling of the uh, of of using the like boost mechanic is also really satisfying as well. Mm-hmm. They do a lot to make that feel good from like a gameplay standpoint because you get like the actual like the underwater sound of you like b- rushing. I don't know how to describe that sound exactly, but it's very like bassy. Uh, the impact and then like the following like clicking noise of like the lights fl- flashing on and off. Yep. All just like really 
it, it conveys both the mechanical and the tonal like feeling of, of that rush mm-hmm. really well. It's really empowering too. Yeah, because yeah, through the whole game, like you see anything dangerous, you just die instantly. <laughs> Meanwhile, this time you can actually break through a wall. I think in retrospect, there's actually a chance that my first impulse about the horrible ring water nymph was correct. Because once you do finally get caught, she just, like, gives you powers. Well, I I got the impression that each one you ran into was a different girl. Possible. I, so. I kind of want to give it that, too, because when you get caught by her normally, you do just die. They're not, like... Resetting because they didn't want to reveal that you could swim underwater too early. Do we know that? Like I don't, I don't really Do you, remember the animation of being pulled down by. I it. got the impression that she gives you the ability to breathe underwater. She plugs you into a thing. It's yeah, like a, a yeah. rope that you get like stuck stuck into your chest. That more, more like a cable. Yes, it's much more like a cable. Yeah, but it, yeah, and then it's it, cable from the end. It's cable from the end. It gets he, plugged into your chest. Yes, and that's why you can start mind controlling the dudes without the helmet. Mm, also, right. those are like the two superpowers that I remember that you get. Yeah, I got the impression that she was like one rogue friendly uh, ghost child. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the other ones murder the crap out of you. She did, yeah. she did the same thing all the other ones do, which is just pull you into the depths. And she had way fucking more depths to you. You actually sink because you get not. It's the elevator falls. Yeah. And then you drown outside of it, and then you fall, and then she comes in. So she didn't actually pull you down. She just kind of like catches you, and then pulls you to further down. Yeah. yeah. To the superpower machine. <laughs> <laughs> superpower machine with all the fish around it. Yes. Oh, I forgot about those fish. Those good fish. There's a good use of fish in this game. It's a good use of, like, animals generally, I think, because they, they're allowed to interact with you in a way that doesn't instantly kill you like a human would. Yeah. Uh, and it gives a... It allows them to have an outside actor, which is something that the game goes a long time without. Uh, the pig, I think, is a good example, because mm-hmm. it is sort of like uh, a gross pig that you pull a, a maggot out of its butt, mm-hmm. but also it is like a platform and it also gives you some insight as to like what is going on because the pig could be seen as like the harbinger of the mind control experiments that are happening yeah i thought the pig mechanically was sort of a weird inclusion in the beginning because i think it sort of like throws you off in your mechanical expectations about what encounters in this game are going to be like because you deal with the pig in a way that you would almost deal with a lot of enemies and a lot of, like, action platformers. Right. We have to be, like, very aware and involved in what's going on around you. You sort of have to, like... Even though it's very mild in comparison to other things in this genre, like, like think back to the sort of shit that you have to do in, like, the bosses in Super Metroid. Right. But it's, like, it's, like, the same basic verbs that you have to use to, to beat the pig in that scene, but you don't really encounter anything like that again. After that point, you don't really interact with the creatures directly. You just run for them or use tools that allow you allow them to not mutilate you. Right. Yeah. That's really uh, all I had on, on any of the animals in the game. Because <laughs> the, the fish actually serve no mechanical purpose. They're just there to look real good. They're there for the uh, wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, for the wallpaper engine. Yes. Yeah. I had basically everything that I want to say at this point involves... Uh, the huddle. 
And that's the... Uh, so if there's not that that you want to talk about, we can do that first. I don't know. I guess this is technically not the huddle. How long did it take you guys to understand what was happening when you started encountering the sequences of the game when water was upside down? How long did it take a... I don't think I ever actually gave it enough thought to come up with a logical conclusion. Oh, no, no, no. Not like a, not like a series of physics explanations about how that's okay. a thing. Like, I mechanically like, understand what you were supposed to do? Not that either. I mean, like, sit down in your chair, look at the screen, and go, what am I looking at? For, like, a solid ten count. Until you realize that like it is Like, you didn't water. comprehend what it was? Yes. Okay. My, my brain was... So, like, I, I, I literally went to, like, am I, have I been underwater this whole time in the video <laughs> game? That was my first assumption before my brain, like, allowed me to think that the water was on the ceiling. I'm trying to remember what the first... Is it where you walk into that room and all of the bodies are, like, suspended in the air and it's, like, pretty high up? Yeah, yeah, you're in that room that's, like, a big w- hangar that has lots of these, like, black squares with okay. a red light and a chain where all the warm, like the worm farm people are suspended yeah. in the water sky. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the worm farm people in the water sky. <laughs> yes. I saw them in concert in 1972. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, okay, all right, so that, that was the section. I don't actually know. I think that I was really taken aback when I finally made it into the water. Uh, but before that, I kind of just thought it was, like, a weird thing. Yeah, I am I pretty much recognized what was going on immediately, I think. Well, I feel like I've seen enough, like, weird perspective kind of pictures like that yeah. to, like, immediately comprehend what I was looking at. Uh, I, it, I mean, I was, t- I mean, it's a stunning image, so oh, I took, yeah, like, course. a second to look at it. Right. But. I, I think that... Uh, I probably just don't have the memory because it's been like six or seven months since I played this game for the first time. Oh. And on the second time through, obviously, I already knew that it was water. Yeah. So uh, it was less of a thing. So, yeah. So you make your way through the facility. Yeah. You uh, meet some fish. You hang out with the fish. You swim through a series of, like, underwater containers. You go up a ladder, you see that there's a giant orb, if you're even slightly curious, and you get impressed that there were, like, ten other orbs you could have found other than the three that you did. Generally, to this game's credit, especially how interesting a lot of the puzzles to get the the secret orbs are. Then you go back down. I guess I should stop stop here briefly to acknowledge that I only found one orb in both playthroughs. Wow. Yeah. I just, like, never, I guess, deviated from the path. and uh, I only found one as well. Like, I didn't... I don't know what it was about the game, but I didn't approach it, like, with a super exploratory mindset like I do a lot of other games. Yeah. yeah. And I, I stumbled upon one maybe, like, three-fourths of the way through. Yeah. That was really the big thing, is because the, the one that I found was the one that's up the elevator from all those, uh, from the 20 Husk puzzle. Wow. Yeah. That's and a that's hard one. so late in the game that when I d- just discovering that that was even a thing, like I didn't know I should be looking for anything, yeah. uh, was like 
I was like, well, I'm not going to, like, try anything else because I didn't realize that these were, like, they were optional collectibles in this game. Yeah, I had the same experience. That one is a hard one. <laughs> By the way, that's yeah. a tough That's a tough puzzle. There's one relatively early that's not... It's, I think it's actually the third one at all that they sort of plant in a way that I think is the intended first one for everyone to find, which is why I'm surprised that both of you missed it. But there's a place where you drop in... Uh, during some of the outside, more dilapidated areas, where like the yellow on the court is really, really prominent, and all you have to do is just tear off an air vent and walk in. Yes, yeah. right there. Uh, yeah, I got that one actually on my second playthrough. Yeah. So that it was, it was that one. There was a cool sequence because uh, when I got stuck on the twenty-man puzzle, there's the one you have to go underneath with the dogs in the, in the fire. I ended up finding that one. And uh, because I was having, like, super fun submarine time and just, like, going all over the place with that, <laughs> I found one in, in submarine land. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so you swim up into that uh, orb. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's actually... I really like this, like, moment because it's not, like, a difficult puzzle. And it does take a little bit of time, which, as we know, I hate when things take any time at all. Mm -hmm. uh, they do a really good job of building to uh, the actual reveal because you do this thing where you, like, pull two huge things off of a, a, a the little container which releases the bottom part, and then you pull up on the thing that actually turns the turbine on and, like, sucks you up into it. I think that all of that, like, is built very well to give you, like, a sense of anticipation. And then you're pulled into, a, like, a it's very obvious where you are, and you're presented with the huddle in a way that makes you instantly kind of curious about it. This would make you yeah. naked, which I'm not 100% sure what the intent is there. Uh, yeah, you get sucked up in... The, through the turbine, and that sucks your clothes off. Right. And I guess they, since it's just like a mass of bodies, they didn't want to like have to <laughs> put your sweater in there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> like. <laughs> I think, honestly, you've stumbled upon the exact reason from, like, a technical standpoint yeah. as to why they did it. I was sitting here trying to be like... I feel like it makes you feel, like, kind of exposed, so you want to, like, hurry up and yeah. pull the things off of it to try and get out. But, like... Because they couldn't, like, put, just put you in the middle and have you not worry about it. I mm -hmm. guess, narratively, they could have You'd be looking that. for, like, signs of the boy in the blob yeah. if he had his clothes. This is true. And you don't want that as the developer of this game. Right, because you want to be paying attention to what's around you. Like, the blob is already jarring enough right. in its its thing. Eventually, well, the blob has to turn into you. Well, my thing is that I feel like what they... Because what they want to do is give you this sense of you aren't as the game's name might imply, you are not inside of the blob yeah. of the huddle. You are just the huddle now. Like, you are a collective consciousness. Yep. And your control is entirely changed to that being instead of the boy, who is basically no longer an entity in existence. Yeah. And having, like, a recognizable feature would really hurt your ability mm. to, like come to grips with that, yeah. I think. It's a stepping stone in, like, removing 
whatever uniqueness you ever applied to the initial player character, and it's a way to make you feel like initially vulnerable before the huddle pulls you into its rightness. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and speaking of that, um, that's the buildup continues even after you're in the tank with the huddle, because like you then like you notice the people looking at you, and you swim up to pull the things off of the blob. And then it sucks you in, like which was totally unexpected. Yeah, and they do it on the third one too. Yeah, which is, that's the master stroke in that scene, uh, because like you just expect to be like, I'll pull all four of these off and see what happens. Nope. nope. <laughs> you know, it's like when somebody's like, I'm gonna rip the bandaid off in three, one, two, rip. Yep. Like yeah, mm-hmm. they do a really good job of of making sure that the scene has the intended effect. As opposed to, like, I guess the only thing they couldn't have accounted for is if you chose to just, like, swim in a circle for 20 minutes. (laughs) That would probably ruin it. As is the video game way. If you don't play the video game, it tends to have some issues for design. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so the huddle is, is like, uh, should have its own spinoff game, Inside 2. It's it is one of the most satisfying like uh, roly experiences <laughs> in games outside of a Katamari game. Oh, I want to see the, the, the top ten roly experiences list that uh, you're gonna put up. That's like, weird because you don't actually do any rolling at all. You roll. You roll occasionally. You flop. You, yeah. yeah, you flop. <laughs> you, you do have legs do that like. Do you run. ever do a full? Revolution on um, if you're not rolling down a slope. I think it's just when you're rolling because there's the parts where you have to you part where you have to create a slope in order to bust through that wall. Right. So that was like a thing. Oh yeah, and there's times when there's like a truck or something in 3D space, and you can sort of like flop around the side <laughs> and up and sort of like over the back again. All right. You can like enough. you can use your environment to flop yourself is, whatever direction. I, you I want. would not have ex- described it as a roll. As a rolling experience. experience. <laughs> that's the way I feel about it. Like. If, uh, I don't know the way that it, that it feels when you're playing, at least to me, because it has such an amazing sense of momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you build up the speed, and then it's like because you don't generally you don't perceive like uh, a human being running having momentum in the way that like if you keep running, you'll just keep getting faster and faster. Eventually, you hit you hit a speed that the body can no longer move you forward any faster than that. Yeah. with a ball. In the way that I think about the the huddle, even though it does have legs and does like actually like gallop along, uh, <laughs> you can just keep picking up speed as you move, and like the idea of like rolling down a hill is really satisfying or gross, depending on how right. you look at it. It's it's both at the same time. Yeah, I think that's the we talked about the pacing leading up. I actually think it then carries that through to the end. Yeah. It's like once you hit that, it's like you're in, like, a state of shock, awe, <laughs> and, like, you feel, like, so many emotions, and you just, but you don't stop, you just, like, because of the way the blob controls, and you just roll right on through to the end, yeah. yep. and, like, you don't really stop to think about what the fuck you just did yeah. until <laughs> the, the you, very end. Yeah, you come to, you come to rest by the yeah, sea Yeah, like, the, yeah, the ending is, 
fantastic in, yeah. that, re- in that regard. And the, even given that, it's, it's crazy that they managed to keep that much momentum with as complex of puzzles as they actually included. Because mm-hmm. even go- going through the end, I did have a couple of times where I felt like like it, it did sort of slow up for me a little bit, but I feel like that was totally my experience. And they didn't intend for them to be like final boss battle thinking man's puzzles. They intended them to be things that were a little bit culminations of what you learned, mostly just horrifying experiences of this momentum monster where you have you like, oh, I wonder what it would be like for a blob to interact with this thing I've spent the whole game interacting with. Yeah. Give you that answer. Yeah, the only time that you really have to stop and, and slow down in that whole segment is where you have to toss the box up to the guy on the the catwalk mm-hmm. and then like primes it and throws it back to you. Yeah. Even that's pretty short unless you miss the button like five times and yeah. then go like, ooh, I'm mad at this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the other time that that I was a dumbass was um, I in the flame puzzle, oh, I never... Throwing it over the sprinklers. The, yeah, the, oh, that yeah. actually wasn't where I got stuck. I was proud of myself for that one. I liked that thing. But <laughs> where I got stuck was, was before that point. I didn't even make the connection that like the box existed for you to like light it on fire and move uh, it around. Before that point, I just like opened the flame thing and just tried to shove myself so in, into, into, the into, the, into the furnace. I legitimately, like I had to... Like try and do that around four times before I accepted that that was not just the termination of the game. I just assumed it would be completely <laughs> yeah, fitting. Like, Donald's this rip cream open. made itself. <laughs> yes. I was, like, I was like, why? Why won't you die? As I'm like trying to shove its mass into the hole, slightly too small. Because it's not even clearly too small. It's like barely too yeah, small. I think it's not too small. I think that they just don't let you shove. You, they don't let you self-immolate before the end of their game because they. There's a section where you open up a tiny hatch and then you like octopus shove yourself through it. You're right. That's true. You got no bones in there. Yeah. yeah. Any, any I mean, bones they are, are free floating, really. Yeah. yeah. You know, no necessary connection between bones and the huddle. Right. Uh, yeah. No. That's and that was a great <laughs> moment as well. Just like all of all of that, really. Yeah. I also one thing that really stands out in my mind is when you run through the cafeteria. Yep. I don't know what it is about that. It's like, it, it's the. I think it's like the first time they really humanize the workers. Yeah. In the facility. I think, I think they do it one other time in a way that I I find retrospectively really funny. Uh, in the part where you have to like push the box, the the two helmet puzzle that I was discussing earlier where the solution of it is to hold the button down oh. until the thing opens and then fall through the left side into the water mm-hmm. uh, if you take too long to figure that out and don't drop to your own death as I had done a couple of times uh, the guy, they will eventually like they take notice of you and they like have a conversation and like try and figure out what to do about the fact that you're up there. And what they choose to do is go off screen and push in one of those huge like searchlight robots that shoots the like <laughs> spring at you. And, <laughs> like set it up and like plug it in. <laughs> it's like like five to ten minutes of, of game time. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's re- it takes a really long time. It's so good. Uh <laughs> but yeah, it's not super likely that you'll run into that situation. Yeah. The humanization is, is what makes it work so well because the moment you bust through there, especially since you spent a long time underwater and the underwater moments are really quiet, mm-hmm. um, 
you just immediately get hit with the sense of bombast as you like shatter through glass and people just start screaming. Yeah. And you're like, this isn't something that generally happens in this game. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's yeah. like, like we've been talking about, it's like constantly like flipping what you thought was going on on its head. Because like your perception at the beginning of the game is very much like, like guys in black suits, you know, like yeah. hunting you, like very like nameless, faceless. At that point of the game, and these then, people are literally wearing masks. Yeah, and then you, yeah, like you go through, and it's just like, oh, there's like all these shady scientists and people who are doing experiments and stuff, and then you burst through there, and it's just like regular people eating lunch. Yeah, <laughs> like oh, upper tier New York office turns out. Yeah. <laughs> You break through the 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 window, like crush the dude. You have like a blood stain on you for a few minutes. The rest of the game, at least no, in you, my case, you wash it off if you go in the water, right? I don't. I, yeah, I if you go really, through water, it comes off. I didn't try and make a scrubbing motion. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't fall flat into the water, I guess. No. Uh, we could talk about the other ending. Man, I don't really. Want, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I guess I, I do want to like acknowledge that like it probably took them like months of development to program that blob. Oh yeah, I did, they did a GDC talk on just the blob. Yeah, yeah, like I feel like that's a really huge technical achievement. Yeah. And even though, like I'm not like a programmer at all, right? That like I can tell that that was like an achievement. It's also insane that like each individual limb is animated separately. So like when you grab at something, like oh god, uh, when you're carrying <laughs> that like the big four by four, and you like roll it like <laughs> over your head and like prop it up. Uh, that whole thing, like, because the hands dynamically move along it in order to shift its position slowly. Uh, all of that is just, like, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's insane. Yeah, very much. And it's sold so well, whereas, like, another game would be, like, just, like, general hand motions. Mm. You'd probably, like, clip through the wood. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. like, yeah. go to pick it up, and it would just sort of, like, swing. In, in reference to that Roger Rabbit video that you sent us, they totally bumped the lamp <laughs> yep. on that one. Absolutely. <laughs> so the, the, end, the, the other, other ending of this game... Yeah, you'll have to remind me about it. Because I definitely watched it, but this was, like... A month ago. You, so I don't okay. Really remember it. You do secret video game bullshit uh, after you do you find all, all those orbs or whatever. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, you do all the secret video game bullshit. You do a sound-based puzzle, and you get into a room that has a computer with one of those mind control helmets on, in it, sort of isolated, and a and a cord. And when you unplug the cord, it turns off the computer and ostensibly turns off the boy. Like, it's suggesting that he was mind-controlled like all of the other sort of beings that you were manipulating, presumably by whoever used to be in that chair, or sort of by, like, nudge and wink by the player. I, uh, I heard a theory, because I did, like, I watched, like, several discussion videos on the game after I finished it, uh, that somebody suggested that it was the blob controlling the boy, the whole because it's plugged in to yeah, like, it has, like multiple those... things. Right. And they're suggesting that like the blob like control took control of the boy, and that's why he was going deeper and deeper into the facility to reach up with the blob and free it because like the blob was trying to escape. 
Right. Which I thought that was kind of neat. But then the thing that I think throws a, a wrench in that idea is that diorama of the ending, where it's like they, whoever made that, unless the blob made the diorama too, <laughs> to give somebody an idea, and they were gonna like fl- like get a boat to come in and rescue it. Well, I feel like the diorama doesn't necessarily imply that they planned out that they'd help it escape and it would roll down that hill. <laughs> I I think that I don't know. That kind of feels to me almost like it's, like, maybe the whole area that you're in is, like, a giant terrarium or something. That's just, like, meant to keep Like a biodome or something. That's kind of how I've been thinking about it. There's, I feel like we're trying to make a narrative out of a sequence of fever dreams. Like, the amount of leaps that you would have to go to, not for any, not even... Not for any like particular sequence of connections, but to make everything in this game start to make sense. Like I, because I did the research too. I've heard about this theory. I've heard about some other stuff, uh, but I've never heard any, any. I've never heard anyone, literally, ever even talk about the fact that there's that like sequence in the outside where you go up and there's like fucking nuclear like explosions and sound waves traveling through those canyons that annihilate you. Mm-hmm. Like I've never even seen that addressed. And I feel like that's one of many circumstances in this game where you have these, like, terrifying, hanging narrative threads because you can't make a story that makes sense that incorporates all of the things that happened in this setting cohesively. You can't... Like, it's hard to square the horror and the loss of life and, like, the mutilation that happens during the escape with the blob with the tons of times during that same sequence where people seem to be acting like they expected you to escape. Mm -hmm. Like, the last thing that you see before you truly, like, break out of the last tank, they assembled a fucking, like... Like, there's an auditorium of people there that are, like, watching you, like, reach up for your last little puzzle piece that you never get. Like, that... You can't just, like, assemble the auditorium without any agency about knowing where the blob is. But you killed, like, half a dozen people who were surprised screaming in there on your way there. And it's not like it was only the up-and-ups that were helping you out. You, like, you got assistance from just random Joe Smo guy who was loading the boxes oh, yeah. during one of the prior scenes. Like, yeah. it, it seems like there's just so there many... There's a rebellion in the workforce. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> helping the blob the nuclear, being put on by, like, the higher ups in the government, <laughs> and so there's a revolt of the proletariat. Yeah, <laughs> it makes but, uh, perfect sense. Now. It does feel almost kind of dreamlike in that way, where like you've ever had a dream where you're like trying to get away from somebody, or like you have like a specific goal. Something always, it always turns out differently in the dream than like you would expect it to in reality, <laughs> and that kind of happens in this game a lot. Like where like you're going to escape. And then instead of being met with adversity, the people help you. Like, something uh, the opposite of what you think would happen kind of does, and it goes off on a different yeah. path. Yep. Yeah, all things considered, like, the game is, is entirely negative. Like, at every point that it could be, the game hits you with things that are oppressive and are unfriendly. And the first moment where things are actually, like, that have like a seemingly optimistic outlook, you are, you've been assimilated into <laughs> a, a, a horrible blob 
and you are just sitting on the edge of a likely nuclear polluted river, and the sun is beaming down upon you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a that's a. Bit, I think it's a pretty good culmination of the town of the game. It is. In a way that I would hate for the ending in which the boy turns himself off to be, like, canonical in as much as that means to a game with no, like, direct plot. Yeah. I also think it's really important to the meaning of the game that if you looked close enough, you would come to question even that happy ending that you thought you, the blob, had bought for yourself right. at, ex- at great expense and time. But on the canonic ability, or whatever the fuck that word would be, of, <laughs> of, uh, of, of the secret ending, is it, it isn't and can't be. Because reaching the secret ending requires you to go through events in the game not in the order that they have to transpire. You have to go back in time to see it. Like, there's no uh, way that you can just walk back from the start to the cornfield. You have to literally just reverse, go to the scene selector, and go to the cornfield again, and then enter the right series of numbers. So it's reaching it is such a gamified thing that I don't think. Yeah. It's something that's supposed to just be... Just an Easter egg? N- not even... Easter egg, I think, is diminishing it somewhat. Like, it's still an ending, mm-hmm. but, like... And it's trying to suggest things either about the same sort of themes of control that the game has constantly running through it about shit. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not part of a story. Like like as I've been like reiterating a couple of times in this past. It's not like like if you take the secret ending to be part of a story, that story is kid runs away from people and dogs into cornfield, goes down <laughs> into bunker, moves a lever in a very specific sequence, enters, unplugs a wall and dies. Right. Which makes no sense, yeah. obviously. Yeah. If we want to uh, conclude our thoughts on the secret ending, I really don't think that I, I, I know who it's for. Like, I don't know who... who what, the people who would really enjoy I this think, game would never find it. I think it's yeah. like... It's just a completionist bonus, honestly. Yeah. It's like... It's an extra bit of content to reward people who put the time in to find all... Like, to find a bunch of secrets... Right. Like they're given something. And it has to seem like it's significant yeah. so that they feel like it was worth the effort. Yeah. But but no, mostly overall thoughts on the game itself. Um it's a great game. I I, I had prematurely put it on like my honorable mentions for, for games of the year on twenty sixteen. That's our least viewed YouTube video. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Weird. Guys get out there. It's a great great episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unintentional plug. Yeah. Um <laughs> And I don't regret that decision because I think the game is great. Uh, I think it's a little bit weaker gameplay-wise than Limbo, but but it doesn't have a puzzle where you have to move that minecart. That's true. Right. That's true. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have that. But uh, overall, it's like a much stronger at it's successful at all the like unique things it tries to do. Like it's a very strong tone piece. It's a really powerful experience and we all know that I'm all about that yeah. so I think it's a great game it made me feel all the things it clearly wants you to feel right. which is always a good sign for any sort of narrative work and it's a great example of the kind of like minimal gamification of a thing like it's a great example of the type of game where it's just enough of a game 
for you to buy in and feel like you have agency and for it not to feel like a series of movie scenes you're activating. And that's something wonderful that games can sort of bring to the fore. It's a, it's a, like it's the kind of game that I would show to anyone who is a fan of horror films, even if they hadn't played games before. Yeah. Yeah, it does kind of seem like that, like a game that even someone who doesn't like games could enjoy. Yeah. And I get the feeling that a lot of the thing that helps it feel like a cohesive whole as opposed to individual scenes is because they've built this environment and make you go through it in a way that makes sense. It doesn't really feel like scenes or levels. Yeah. Uh, it feels like you're just making progress in a linear path. Yeah. But I don't really have anything additionally to add on to any of that. I agree with both of what you said. I just didn't want to go out on like a super downer yep. about oh, yeah. that ending being stupid. So... <laughs> Thank you for listening to our extremely positive episode of No Clip this week. <laughs> what are we talking about next time? Next time we're going to be talking about Bayonetta. Uh, the game that I assume is what made uh, Platinum Games sort of rise to prominence. Like, people became aware of them culturally because of this game. Either way, we'll uh, shoot some guns and kick a lot of angels. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Talk to you later. <laughs>